0: Radwan Fuad Joma worked in a pizza shop in Denmark. His wife was studying there, and they have three children: Aya, who's in third grade; Mohammed, who's in second;
1: and I have one that was born here in Denmark, Lilian, my youngest. She considers Denmark as her country. She doesn't know anything about Syria.
0: Syria is where Radwan and his wife Hiba Rajla were born and raised.
1: I left Syria in 2013 because I was in the opposition. But I chose to leave Syria because someone told the authorities that I had taken part in demonstrations.
0: And now his adopted country, Denmark, is telling him and hundreds of Syrians like him to go back.
1: I prefer to die here in Denmark quickly rather than to die in the regime's prison under
0: torture. Bilal, and this is The Take. We first brought you the story of Radwan and his family in May. And we wanted to share it again because what this family went through is what many Syrian families in Denmark are still going through today. But there has been an update in Radwan's case. We'll tell you about it at the end. Ten years after the Syrian uprising against the government of President Bashar al-Assad began, Denmark has deemed Damascus the Syrian capital, safe enough that refugees in Denmark can, and according to the Danish government, should go back.
2: Denmark has become the first European nation to revoke the residency permits of Syrian refugees. Denmark is telling some refugees they should go back to Syria.
0: Danish officials turned down several asylum applications from Syrians ruling that the capital. Damascus, uh, at least, is now safe enough uh, for them to return to. But Syria is still an active war zone. And the government of Assad remains, the same government that many of these asylum seekers opposed before they fled. To explain this a little bit more, I want to introduce you to someone else in Denmark.
2: My name is Florian Elabdi. I'm a Danish journalist.
0: Florian has written for Al Jazeera's website, and he was the one who first reached out to Radwan.
2: For the past five years, I've been traveling around the Middle East, Africa, Europe, reporting, but I also regularly cover Danish news.
0: We caught up with him while he was at home in Copenhagen. So how did you get connected to this story and to Radwan and his family? Uh,
2: It was actually Algeciro who contacted me and asked if I wanted to do a story about it.
0: He did. So he set out to find a Syrian in Denmark who might be sent back. I
2: went on a Facebook page for Syrian refugees who are in jeopardy, And I wrote a post about if there's anyone willing to talk to me.
0: Radwan responded to the post.
2: And I found a lot of others. Many of the ones I talked to, they have gotten this horrifying letter from the immigration services saying their residence permit will be reassessed, but they haven't gotten the final answer yet. They don't know if they are allowed to stay or not allowed to stay.
0: Radwan was different, though. His case was a bit farther along, Florian says.
2: Radwan had already had his residence permit revoked.
0: So they talked. Uh,
2: and he told me his whole story about his life in Syria before the war, and when instability started to break out in Damascus, he was participating in demonstrations. He was going from protest to protest. Then these protests they developed into violent clashes with the the government, armed clashes.
0: And worrying things started happening to Radwan's family members. The bombs.
1: Some of my siblings were arrested by the regime. They were, of course, put in prison.
0: And he decided Damascus was no longer safe. But like most refugees, he and his family had a tough road ahead.
2: They decided they needed to leave Damascus because he had come to know that the informant of the Government had told the army that he was in the opposition movement, and so he drove to the border with Lebanon and he bribed officials there to get out, as many other people did at that time.
1: I decided to leave Syria because I hadn't been arrested yet, so I fled to Egypt in 2013. People were saying that the Syrian dictatorship would fall in six months. But unfortunately, I stayed in Egypt for a year and a half. At that time,
2: many Syrians were saying within six months, the Assad regime will fall and we can all safely return and rebuild Syria. But as we all know, that didn't happen. And in the meantime, in Egypt, Sisi came to power, and he was, you could say, more sympathetic to Bashar al Assad.
1: I decided to leave Egypt because Egyptians didn't treat us very well when Sisi came to power. They treated us really badly. And he decided that he needed to flee
2: Egypt and go to Europe. So he did that.
1: We were on the ocean for about eight days. We suffered a lot during that trip. It was really difficult. You can't imagine.
2: Eight days on the ocean, and it was really hard with his children and wife. They were stuck in the ocean, and they couldn't find land. In the end, after eight days, they ended up in Italy. And uh, he decided that from Italy, he wanted to go to Denmark.
0: Do you know why Denmark? Denmark.
2: Yeah, he told me he had always heard that Denmark had this reputation as a country that always makes sure human rights are upheld and and is a staunch defender of human rights all over the world. So he said that at least if I go to Denmark, I will not have to worry about my rights anymore as I did in Syria.
0: So what happened when he got to Denmark?
2: So when he came to Denmark, he settled in a small town called Silkeborg in western Denmark on the Jutland Peninsula. He got a job in a pizza place and he was just happy to work full time and see his kids growing up here and starting school. And his wife started studying. In late 2014, he applied for asylum and in 2015, he received asylum. So he applied to have his residence permit renewed in 2020 But it was rejected because he was from Damascus. He thought that this was just some kind of bureaucratic, smaller hurdle. He had never imagined that they would actually take away his right to
1: live in Denmark. My children don't even speak Arabic properly.
2: He said that he was shocked. There had been talk in late 2019 that Denmark would start to reassess the residence permit of Syrian refugees from Damascus. But he didn't flee the war because of the general conditions. He was a known opposition member.
0: Remember, his siblings had already been arrested. And his wife had her own tragic history with the government.
1: It's impossible for me to go to Syria because of my opposition to the regime. I will immediately be arrested by the regime. My wife is a widow of a martyr. Her first husband was publicly executed by the Syrian regime in the Joba district in Damascus. He and of course many others.
2: His uh, wife. Her former husband was killed, and he showed me video. He had been executed with a bullet hole through his head. He said, I would never imagine that, that they could come to the c- conclusion that I'm not in need of protection.
0: So you had been hearing stories like this for a while?
2: Yeah, actually, we have to go all the way back to 2015 to completely understand this story. Back then, our now prime minister, Meta Frederiksen, she was the minister of justice, and she implemented this law saying that if you're not individually persecuted, if you're just fleeing from the war in general in Syria, you will not receive a permanent residence. If we give you asylum, you will receive a temporary residence permit. That was back in 2015. And in that law, it said if the conditions in your home country, in this case, Syria, if they just improve slightly, it doesn't even have to be safe. But if they improve slightly and these improvements could be permanent improvements, we can revoke that temporary residence permit.
0: So the 2015 law set things up so that if conditions got better in Syria, Syrian refugees still in Denmark would have to return.
2: And then in 2019 the Danish Immigration Services published this report saying that now in Damascus the security situation has improved to such a degree that we can now send refugees back or revoke their residence permit. So the first Syrian refugees when they applied for new residence permit they weren't given. And actually Syrians lost their residence permits but Despite all this, the story didn't catch internationally. There were a few reports about it, but early this year in 2021, the Danish Immigration Services came up with a new report saying this now also applies to Reef Damascus the rural areas around Damascus is called Reef Damascus. And um, now you had 500 Syrians in jeopardy of losing their residence permits. And you have up to 5,000 Syrian refugees in Denmark who are in jeopardy.
0: What does safe mean? What are they basing that on?
2: Their definition of safe is that you can live in Damascus and Reef Damascus. You can have a life there. Yeah, there can be occasional skirmishes, but if it's not a complete war zone, you can return. But 11 out of 12 experts citing those two famous reports have later come out and said that their testimonies were taken out of context and they don't believe that Damascus is safe. There's one source who said, yeah, I, I did say that Damascus is safe compared to Dera, but Dera is not safe at, at all. Uh, so there's a huge difference between saying that Damascus is somewhat safe or safer than other places in Syria and saying that it's safe to return to. These are two different things that the Danish government doesn't really seem to realize. And the question is, are, are you willing to take moral responsibility if people you've sent back are detained and tortured? I don't know. I don't think they are.
0: And Radwan and his family are some of those who say they would not be safe if they had to go back.
1: Yes. My children, they can sense the state of fear in this house. They really feel it. So they know about this, and they are extremely scared. And they ask me, Baba, Baba, if we go back to Syria, will we be killed? We don't want to live in a place with horror, fear, killings, and destructions.
0: So when you lose your residency papers and your residency status, you could get sent to what's called a deportation center. Yes. Have you been to one?
2: I have been outside of them and talked to people who live there. I haven't actually entered because there are restrictions for journalists, but they are very notorious in Denmark for their bad conditions. The Council of Europe's Anti Torture Committee has published reports calling them some of the worst in Europe. There has been so much public protest about one of them called where all the children were held that after public pressure, the politicians decided to move them to another deportation center where conditions were slightly better. The one with single men is is the worst one and it's uh, described as worse than a prison by many people who have seen it. You aren't allowed to cook, you aren't allowed to go out except uh, within specific time frames you aren't allowed to have money. You just have a room. You don't even have a phone or you're just in this prison-like facility. And Denmark is saying to you, either you leave or you will be stuck here the rest of your life.
0: Wow. If they were sent to one of these deportation centers, Radan wouldn't be able to work. His wife wouldn't be able to study. Their children also presumably wouldn't be in school.
2: So children have the right to primary school. So they are offered primary school and nothing else.
0: Copenhagen doesn't have diplomatic relations with Damascus. They don't recognize the government of Bashar al-Assad because of what's happened since the uprising over the past 10 years. So is Denmark legally allowed to force repatriation?
2: No, they're not. And they will not be forcing repatriations at at this moment, as long as they don't have diplomatic relations with Damascus.
0: So that means that what they're doing is in a gray area. They're not actually repatriating people. They're just telling them you're no longer legally allowed to be a resident here.
2: Yeah. So they're saying that you're not allowed to live here, integrate and work here and have a normal life here. And we are not allowed to send you out. So we will send you to these prison-like facilities If you don't go back voluntarily.
0: So there are already people who have lost their residency and who have had to figure out what to do.
2: Yeah, you have Syrian people with their children living in departure centers. And we are already starting to hear reports about Syrian refugees who have left Denmark to seek asylum in other European countries. And of course, there are also a few who have uh, chosen to go back to uh, Syria.
0: So what options are Ridwan and his family considering right now?
2: They, they tell me that they will have to live in a deportation facility because to go back to Damascus, they believe that they will be held and they will probably be tortured.
1: Denmark has given us two choices, and both are really bitter. Either to be deported to Bashar al-Assad or to be put in a camp that is worse than prison. It is actually prison.
0: Are they able to appeal their case?
2: They have appealed their case, and the final answer will be given on the 25th of May.
1: We came to Denmark because it's known for its human rights record. It has a good reputation. If we had known the opposite was true, we would never have come here. A quick death is a million times more merciful than dying in the prisons of the regime.
0: What is the larger picture here? What signal is Denmark trying to share with the rest of the world?
2: I think Denmark, since at least 2015, has been very clear about being a country not willing to accept refugees. We had this uh, notorious uh, former immigration minister who printed articles in Lebanese uh, newspapers saying to Syrian refugees, don't come to Denmark. She implemented the so-called jewelry law, saying if you come to Denmark and you have assets like jewels and stuff like that, you will have to give it to the state.
0: Wow.
2: Yeah, and we had a virus-infected island in Denmark used by the university, and nobody would touch that island. It's called Lindholm, and they decided that they wanted to send refugees to that island to detain them there. So Denmark has had stories coming out where there's just this outrage because Denmark has gone so far to the far right and the in this rhetoric about refugees.
0: Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International have both spoken out against Denmark's policy of sending Syrians back. So I asked Florian about what's happening in Denmark. What kind of opposition to this he's seen?
2: On a grassroots level, a lot of uh, stuff is being done. Demonstrations, people have rallied this week in front of the Danish Parliament in support of asylum seekers. People protesting on social media, lobbyism, like people calling politicians, and you also have some kind of some level of protest on the left wing of the Danish Parliament. But some of these parties were also the same parties who voted for the 2015 law, making resident permits temporary.
0: With both your journalist hat and your Danish hat on, what do you think this means? How has this been for you covering it?
2: That's a good question. I also have an immigrant hat, you could say, because my dad is Moroccan and uh, my mom is Danish. And there is this rhetoric in Denmark. It's it's like a race to the bottom about immigrants, about refugees, about people of color, really. You have all these laws being implemented against people with Muslim background. You have a so-called ghetto law. You can no longer have more than 30% of so-called non-Western ethnicities living in housing areas. We are actually dividing people into three categories, ethnic Danes, non-Western immigrants, and Western immigrants. Another law was implementing saying that when you apply for citizenship, it will be stated on your application whether you are a Western immigrant or a non-Western immigrant. And specifically, whether you are from a Muslim country, they made this list uh, of something they called the MENAPT country, which is MENA, Middle East, North Africa, and PT stands for Pakistan and Turkey. And when you apply for citizenship, they will know which religion you have before they accept you as new citizen.
0: That is incredible.
2: Yeah, and many of the parties who will now have to accept you as a citizen have openly said they don't want any more Muslim citizens.
0: I'm yeah shocked it's just it's a shame,
2: yeah, I think we have to see it in in a in the context of this uh, wider um, right wing wave far right wing wave is probably a better word that we've seen in Europe. We're known as this welfare Scandinavian state that is so cozy and everything is beautiful and but there's this contrast between that image and You know, our climate-friendly, social-welfare image and our immigration policies, on the other hand.
0: We checked back with Radwan right before publishing this episode, asking for some sounds of his children playing, having fun. But he told us that doesn't really happen now. They're too afraid of what will happen next. So that was first aired in May. And I told you we'd have an update on Radwan and his family. We have some good news. (laughs) Radwan told us he and his family received political asylum residency on the 25th of May. It's for two years. The reason given was his opposition to the Syrian regime. This will give them a bit more time to figure things out. But Radwan knows Syrians in the detention centers still too afraid to return to Syria. They are separated from their children. They can only see them on weekends. And he's seen pictures of the facility on social media. It looks like what Florian described. <inaudible> Redouan thinks part of the reason his case was able to succeed was the media attention, including our story.
2: <inaudible> he
0: did lose his pizza business, though. Because of all the legal problems, he couldn't keep up with it. He got a new job in transportation, and his wife and all three children are still in school. Since our story aired in May, more than 50,000 Danes signed a petition urging their parliament to stop revoking the residency of Syrians. But so far, Danish policy hasn't changed. And that's The Take. This episode was originally produced by Amy Walters, Wadina Kispe, Priyanka Tilvey, Ney Alvarez, Negin Oliai, Alexander Locke, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Tom Finton is our story editor, and our executive producer is Stacey Samuel. We want to send out a special thanks to Saad Turjman for his help and Awad Joma for being the voice of Radwan. We'll be back.